Do you like a good scare? Do you have a dark and disturbing imagination? Then you've come to the right place. Welcome to The New Shiver Show. I am Mary Labrie, your host, here with co-host Greg Flynn. The Shiver Show brings you strange and chilling tales of crime, horror, and science fiction from the golden era of radio, as well as new contemporary productions. Tonight, we have The Hitchhiker. The Hitchhiker was written by the wonderful Lucille Fletcher for a new and upcoming actor called Orson Welles, who was only 23 when he did this role. Uh, The music was also composed by her very famous husband, Bernard Herrmann. Are you ready for The Hitchhiker, Greg? I am indeed. In fact, I've got shivers down my backbone, and that's before we start listening to the play. Let's go. I'm in a trailer camp on I-40 just west of Gallup, New Mexico. If I tell it, maybe it will help me. It'll it'll keep me from going crazy. But I must tell this quickly. I'm not crazy now. I feel perfectly well. Perfectly well. Except I'm running a slight temperature. My name is Ronald Adams. I'm 36 years of age, unmarried, tall, dark, with a black mustache. I drive a 1978 Ford. V8, license number 6V7989. I was born in Brooklyn. All this I know. I know I'm at this moment. I'm perfectly sane. That is, it's not me that's gone mad, but something else. Something utterly beyond my control. But I must speak quickly. At any moment, the link with life may break. This may be the last thing I ever tell on Earth. The last night I ever see the stars. Six days ago, I left Brooklyn to drive to California. Goodbye, son. Good luck to you, my boy. Goodbye, Mom. <laughs> Here, give me a kiss, and then I'll go. I'll come out with you to the car. Oh, it's raining. Stay here at the door. Hey, what's this? Tears? Oh, it's just the trip, Ronald. I wish you weren't driving. Oh, Mom, there you go again. People do it every day. I know. But you'll be careful, won't you? Promise me you'll be extra careful. Don't fall asleep or drive fast or pick up any strangers on the road. Strangers? But look, don't worry. There isn't anything going to happen. It's just eight days of perfectly simple driving on smooth, decent, civilized roads with a hot dog or a hamburger stand every ten miles. Now, don't worry. Goodbye. I was in excellent spirits. The drive ahead, even the loneliness, seemed like a lark. But I didn't count on him. Crossing Brooklyn Bridge that morning in the rain, I saw a man leaning against the cables. He seemed to be waiting for a lift. There were spots of fresh rain on his shoulders. He was carrying a cheap overnight bag in one hand. He was thin, nondescript, with a cap pulled down over his eyes. Now, I would have forgotten him completely, except that Just an hour later, while crossing the Pulaski Skyway over the Jersey Flats, I saw him again. At least he looked like the same person. He was standing now with one thumb pointing west. I couldn't figure out how he'd got there. 
But I thought maybe a fast truck had picked him up, beaten me to the Skyway, and let him off. I, I didn't stop for him. And then late that night, I saw him again. It was on the new Pennsylvania turnpike between Harrisburg and Pittsburgh. It's 265 miles long with a very high speed limit. I, I was just slowing down for one of the tunnels when I saw him standing under an arc light by the side of the road. I could see him quite distinctly, the bag, the cap, even the... Even the spots of fresh rain spattered over his shoulders. He hailed me this time. I stepped on the gas like a shot. It's lonely country through the Alleghenies, and I have no intention of stopping. Besides, the coincidences, or whatever it was, gave me the willies. I stopped at the next gas station. Yes, sir. What can I do for you? Uh, f- fill her up, will you? Check your oil? No, thanks. No. Okay, let me get the gas cap here. Nice night, ain't it? Yes. Hasn't hasn't been raining here lately, has it? No, not a drop of rain all week. Oh, no? I suppose that hasn't done your business any harm. No, people drive through here all kinds of weather, mostly business, though. Ain't many pleasure cars out on the turnpike this season of the year. I guess not. What about hitchhikers? Hitchhikers here? <laughs> why? Why? What's, what's the matter? Don't you, don't you ever see any? Well, a guy'd be a fool to start out to hitchhike on this road. Just look at it. You mean you never see anybody? No, maybe they get a lift before the turnpike starts. I mean, you know, just before the toll house, but then it's pretty long ride. Most cars wouldn't pick up a guy for that long a ride. Yeah, this is a pretty lonesome country here. Mountains and woods. You ain't seen nobody like that, have you? Oh, no, no, it's, uh, it's just a... Just a technical question. <laughs> oh, I see. Uh, well, that'll be uh, twenty-four ninety-nine with the tax, sir. The thing gradually passed from my mind as a coincidence. I had a good night's sleep in Pittsburgh. I didn't think about the man all the next day until just outside of Zanesville, Ohio. I saw him again. It was a bright, sunshiny afternoon. The Peaceful Ohio fields, brown with the autumn stubble, lay dreaming in the golden light. I was driving, slowly drinking it all in when the road suddenly ended in a detour. In front of the barrier, he was standing. Let me explain about his appearance before I go on. I repeat, there was nothing sinister about him. He was as drab as a mud fence, nor was his attitude menacing. He he just stood there, waiting, almost drooping a little the cheap overnight bag in his hand. He looked as though he'd been waiting there for hours. And he hailed me, started to walk forward. I had stopped the car, of course, for the detour. For a few minutes, I I couldn't seem to find the new road. I realized that he must be thinking that I'd stopped for him. No, no, not just now. No, I'm I'm sorry. No, 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 not today. I'm, I'm going to New York. Sorry. Sorry. After I got the car back on the road again, I felt like a fool. Yet the thought of picking him up, of having him sit beside me, was somehow unbearable. Yet at the same time, I felt more than ever unspeakably alone. Hour after hour went by. The fields, the towns ticked off one by one. The light changed. I knew now that I was going to see him again. 
and though I dreaded the sight, I caught myself searching the side of the road, waiting for him to appear. What is it? What do you want? Uh, you sell sandwiches and uh, pop here, don't you? Yeah, we do in the daytime, but we're closed for the night. Well, I, I know, but I was just wondering if you could possibly let me have a cup of coffee, black black coffee. My wife's the cook, and she's in bed. Well, now, no, no, listen, just a minute ago, there was a man standing here, right right beside here, and uh, a suspicious-looking man. Henry? Who is it, Henry? It's nobody, Mother. Just a fellow thinks he wants a cup of coffee. Go back to bed. I don't I don't mean to disturb you, but you see, I was driving along when I just uh, happened to look, and there he was. What was he doing? Uh, nothing. Ah, you've been hitting the bottle. That's what's the matter with you. Got nothing better to do than wake decent folks out of their hard-earned sleep. Get going. Get on. Well, it looked as though he was going to rob you. I got nothing in this den to lose. Now on your way before I call out Sheriff Polks. I got into the car again and drove on, slowly. I was beginning to hate the car. If I could have found a place to rest a little, but I was in the Ozark Mountains of Missouri now. The few resort places there were closed. I'd seen him at that roadside stand. I knew I'd see him again, maybe at the next turn of the road. I knew then that when I saw him next, I'd run him down. But I didn't see him again until late the next afternoon. I had stopped the car at a sleepy little junction just across the border into Oklahoma to let a train pass. When he appeared across the tracks... He was leaning against a telephone pole. It was a perfectly airless, dry day. The red clay of Oklahoma was baking under the southwestern sun, yet there were spots of fresh rain on his shoulders. I couldn't stand that. Without thinking blindly, I started the car across the tracks. He didn't even look up at me. He was staring at the ground. I stepped on the gas hard, veering the wheel sharply toward him. I could hear the train in the distance now, but I didn't care. And then something... something went wrong with the car. It stalled. Right on the tracks. The train was coming. Closer, I could hear its bell, its, its cry, its whistle crying. Still, he stood there. Now I knew that he was beckoning. Beckoning me to my death. Well, I frustrated him that time. It started. It worked at last. I managed to back up. But after the train had passed, he... He was gone. And I was all alone in the hot, dry afternoon. After that, I knew I had to do something. I... I didn't know who this man was or what he wanted of me. I only knew that from now on... I mustn't let myself be alone on the road for one minute. Uh, hello there. Hello. You like a ride? What do you think? How far are you going? Amarillo. I'll, I'll take you to Amarillo. Amarillo, Texas? Yeah, I'll, I'll drive you there. Gee. Hop in. Uh, mind if I take off my shoes? Uh, my feet are killing me. No. Go right ahead. Oh, gee, what a break this is. 
Great car, decent guy, driving all the way to Amarillo. All I've been getting so far is trucks. You hitchhike much? Sure. Only it's tough sometimes in these great open spaces to get the brakes. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it would be. But I'll bet, though, if you got a good pickup in a fast car, you could get to places faster than, well, say, another person in, in another car. I don't get you. Well, you take me, for instance. Uh, suppose I'm driving across the country at a nice steady clip of about 65 miles an hour. Couldn't a girl like you just... Standing beside the road, waiting for lifts, beat me to town after town, providing she got picked up every time in a car that was doing 75 or 80 miles an hour? I don't know. Maybe she could, maybe she couldn't. What difference does it make? Oh, it's no, no difference. It's <laughs> just a crazy idea I had sitting here in the car. Oh, imagine spending your time in a great car thinking of things like that. Oh, what would you do instead? What would I do? Well, if I was a good-looking fella like yourself, I'd just enjoy myself every minute of the time. I'd sit back and relax, and if I saw a good-looking... Hey! Did you see him? Did you see him, too? See who? That man is standing beside the barbed wire fence. <laughs> I didn't see anybody. Right there! It was nothing, just a barbed wire fence. What do you think he was doing trying to run into a barbed wire fence? <laughs> the... There was a man there. I, I tell you, a thin, gray man with, with an overnight bag in his hand. I, I was trying to run him down. Run him down? You mean kill him? I'm, I'm trying to get rid of him, or at least prove that he's real. But you say you didn't see him back there? You, you, are you sure? I didn't see a soul. And as far as that's well, concerned... you watch for him. You watch for him the next time and keep watching. Keep, keep your eyes peeled on the road. He'll turn up again. Maybe any minute now. There! Right there! Uh, no. How's this door work? I've got to get out of Did here. Did you see him that time? Did no, you see him? No, I, I didn't see him that time. And personally, mister, I don't expect never to see him. All I want to do is go on living, and I don't see how I will very long driving with you. Look, look, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't know So, if you'll excuse me... Please, you, you can't go. Listen, how'd you like to go to California? I'll drive you all the way to California. You're creeping me out, man. Listen, no, please, just, just one minute. You know what I think you need, man? Not a girlfriend, just a good dose of sleep. No, no, you can't, you can't leave go. Leave your hands off of me. Just, just leave your hands off of me. Now, come back here, please. Please come back. She ran from me as if I was some kind of monster. A few minutes later, I saw a passing truck pick her up, and, and I knew then that I was utterly alone. I was in the heart of the great Texas prairies. There wasn't a car on the road after the truck went by. I tried to figure out what to do, how to, how to get a hold of myself, if I could find a place to rest, or even if I could sleep right, right here in the car, just a few hours, get some sleep just alongside of the road. I was getting my winter overcoat out of the back seat to use as a blanket, uh, just as a, as a blanket, when I saw him coming toward me, emerging from the herd of moving steer. I didn't wait for him to come any closer. Well, maybe I should have spoken to him then, but fought it out then and there, and now he began to be everywhere. 
whenever I stopped even for a minute for gas, for oil, for a drink of pop, a cup of coffee, a sandwich. He was there. I saw him standing outside the trailer camp in Amarillo that night when I dared to slow down. He was, he was standing near the drinking fountain at a little camping spot just inside the border of New Mexico. He was waiting for me outside the Navajo Reservation where I stopped to check my tires. I saw him in Albuquerque where I bought more gas. I, I was afraid now, afraid to stop. I began to drive faster and faster. I was in lunar landscape now the great arid Mesa country of New Mexico. I drove through it with the indifference of a fly crawling over the face of the moon. And now he didn't even wait for me to stop. Unless I drove at 85 miles an hour over those endless roads, he waited for me at every other mile. I could see his figure, shadowless, flitting before me, still in its same attitude over the still and lifeless ground, flitting over dried-up rivers, over broken stones, cast up by old glacial upheavals, flitting in the pure and cloudless air. I was beside myself when I finally reached Gallup, New Mexico, this morning. There's a trailer camp here. It's cold, almost deserted this time of year. I went inside and asked if there was a telephone. I had the feeling that if I could speak to somebody familiar, somebody that I loved, I could pull myself together. I'd read somewhere that love could banish demons. It was in the middle of the morning. I, I knew my mother would be home. I pictured her, tall, white-haired in her crisp house dress, going about her tasks. It'd be enough, I thought, just, just to hear the even calmness of her voice. Hello, Mother? This is Mrs. Adams' residence. Who is it you wish to speak to, please? Who, who is this? This is Mrs. Whitney. Mrs. Whitney? I, 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 don't, I don't know any Mrs. Whitney. Is this 7489970? Yes. Well, where's my mother? Where's, where's Mrs. Adams? Mrs. Adams is not home. She's still in the hospital. The hospital? Yes. Who is this calling, please? Is this a member of the family? What's she in the hospital for? She's been resting for five days. A nervous breakdown. Who is this called? Nervous breakdown? My mother doesn't have it's a... It's all taken place since the death of her oldest son, Ronald. The death of her oldest son, Ronald? Hey, what is this? What number is this? This is 7489970. It's all been very sudden. He was killed six days ago in an automobile accident on the Brooklyn Bridge. And so, I'm sitting here in this deserted trailer camp in Gallup, New Mexico. And so I'm, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to, to get a hold of myself, otherwise, otherwise I'm going to go crazy. Outside, it's night. The vast, soulless night of New Mexico. A million stars are in the sky. Ahead of me stretch a thousand miles of empty mesa and mountains, prairies, desert. And somewhere among them, he's waiting for me. Somewhere. Somewhere I will know who he is. And who I am.
So, Greg, this is another wild story by Lucille Fletcher. What do you think? I love the fact that um, uh, he's a ghost, but he's not your standard white sheet over the head with the holes cut out kind of guy, the spooky ghost. No, Zareed, and I, we've got a ghost here that's corporeal. You know, it's got a physical presence and who still likes coffee, who can dial a phone and change gears in a car, right? Now, that's a ghost. <laughs> um. I want to debate that a bit with you. To me, um, my interpretation was that he was sort of, you know how in Greek mythology there was the, the boatman who took you across from life to death? Yes, on the River Styx. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, on the River Styx. And I thought he was trying to take this guy across and he didn't want to go, like that he wasn't ready to accept that he had died. Oh, well, actually, that I, I couldn't agree more with that. I was, in fact, um, referring to Donald Adams, who is, in fact, dead for most of the, the show. Oh, that ghost. <laughs> Not, hey, well, there are two ghosts. Okay, to be fair, <laughs> to be fair. And that's the other thing about um, uh, death. Uh, you know, you want death to be some dude in a black hooded garment carrying a scythe. You don't necessarily want a nondescript guy in drab clothing, raindrops on his shoulders. And even in fine weather, um, uh, this guy's got those sprinkles on his shoulders and carrying a cheap suitcase. You want somebody very um, uh, with gravitas, uh, hence the scythe and the black clothes. Or in my case, I would uh, prefer someone in a flowing white robe, uh, perhaps a golden aura, and who says, by the way, there's absolutely no rush to come with me. Unlike the hitchhikers uh, in this, who keeps, he's very adamant that um, Ronald Adams come with him. Yes. I actually thought that, that uh, Ronald Adams, the character, um, that he showed some unattractive qualities initially. He was certainly not a charitable person. Absolutely. I think uh, uh, that uh, you know, that opportunity on the Brooklyn Bridge, uh, there's there. If he'd stopped, perhaps if he'd stopped and just thought, well, I'll, I'll just get, well, it's a, you know, an old guy with a suitcase, I'll give him a lift. All this may not happen, but I have a feeling, as you were saying, as the boatman on the river sticks, he was going to be there anyway. Yeah. Well, um, the inspiration for this, Lucille, once again, um, you know, she has a story behind every story. But apparently when she was driving from New York to uh, California with her husband, Bernard Herman, the uh, very famous composer, um, she saw a strange man who kept appearing as they were driving uh, west. Um, maybe not as often as this character did, but let's open up. <laughs> but um, that that became her uh, inspiration for it, which I, I think is is a wonderful sort of uh, backstory. Oh, I think so too. She's a she's a fabulous writer. Uh, when just when you think the show might get slightly repetitive, you know, with seeing the uh, Hitchcock again and again, but when he reaches Oklahoma, no, there's a plot highlight. He picks up a hitchhiker, and it's a young woman. So suddenly, uh, the the plot takes off not so much in a different direction because we're always heading towards um, California. But uh, when I was a teenager, I hitchhiked around Western Australia's wheat growing country. So I've got a pro tip for modern hitchhikers: 
So let's say it's unlike the way that that young woman behaves. We'll call it hitchhiker's etiquette. So I suggest you don't climb into a stranger's vehicle and start babbling on about great car, a decent guy, and good-looking fellow. Yeah, indeed. This is not a time for flirting. You and I both come from an era when hitchhiking happened all the time. And I used to hitchhike every day to school or to work. Um, and, you know, I was a young woman, um, but it was something that you didn't, you weren't afraid to do it. And um, people gave you rides. I used to get a ride to uni every morning. Someone would pick me up. I never thought a thing about it, you know, as a way of saving money, right? Yes, absolutely. And of course, in those days, the car doors didn't automatically lock after after about 20 yards, which That's is right. a, rather, a rather disconcerting sound if you uh, happen to get into a stranger's car and you hear those doors go, look. Uh, uh, those were the days. No seatbelts, no automatic locking. However, once again, I must bring us back to the laws of this universe and ask the question, how did this woman get in the car of a ghost? Well, I, that's, ah, well, coming back to my point, he's got a corporeal presence. Yeah. He's a ghost who, who has change in his pockets for a phone. So, it's yes. a, you know, if you're, if you're a ghost that's got a white sheet over your head with the eye holes cut out, right, nowhere to put small change. But yeah. this, this guy can walk to a pay booth, pay phone booth and, uh, and call home. Yeah, it's quite strange. Yeah, it's very strange. Of course, in this case, he calls home and it's not good news. Yes, I'm afraid you're dead, sir. <laughs> yes. The Hitchhiker is a classic. It's been performed many times as a radio play and then it was made into a TV show. Yeah, and deservedly so. Uh, it was perfect for Rod Serling uh, for the um, Twilight Zone show in 1960. Yes, as Serling says, you know, you're traveling through another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. And now there is a soundbite that describes this radio play perfectly. That's our show for tonight. We hope you enjoyed The Hitchhiker. If you enjoy all things macabre and downright scary, then follow us on social media. You'll find us at The Shiver Show, which is Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. Uh, I've got to admit, Greg, I never pick up hitchhikers, but I might have to reconsider after hearing this this play. Um, I suppose I could roll down the window and say, excuse me, sir, are you the angel of death? And also, don't babble on about how good-looking the uh, driver is once you get in. Leave that to perhaps when you're waving goodbye. Good night, Mary. Good night. Music for this show is The Forsaken by Cody Martin. <laughs>